Are you ready to celebrate? Just ahead of the big 4th of July holiday, we track our Metro's most explosive and impactful stories. A murder on the plaza sparks renewed debate over crime and the role of police. The Truman Library finally reopens after a two-year shutdown. Is that stalemate over Medicaid funding finally over? And like a dead firework, is the vaccine campaign fizzling out? We are begging you to come. Don't take that chance. Please don't take the chance. If you're not vaccinated, the variants are here. Trouble's at your doorstep. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Horley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes, and I am thrilled you're with us. I know with a holiday weekend ahead, you've got lots of other options, so thank you. But with absolutely nothing else to do this weekend, are this week's news reviewers from KCUR News, Steve Kraske, from 41 Action News, investigative reporter Kat Reed, from The Call newspaper, Eric Wesson, and KMBC 9 chief political reporter, Michael Mahoney. You know, there's plenty of negative headlines to dissect, but as it's a holiday, let's start with something more uplifting this week. By the way, how do you plan to celebrate the 4th of July this weekend? After a year of lockdown, it looks like many Kansas Cityans are preparing to mark America's independence from the British with a big bang, with few exceptions. Most of our Metro's traditional fireworks shows and parades are back. And just ahead of the holiday, the Truman Museum is reopening. It has been shuttered for the better part of two years. It's been undergoing the largest renovation project in its history. $29 million has bought the Independence Museum a completely new look inside and out. But what does that mean for us? If you've never been to the museum before, what on earth, Steve Kraske, would encourage you to go there now? Well, it's worth going to now, Nick. It was worth going to before, but it is a spectacular redo, $29 million. Nick, I'm going to sound like a PR agent for the Truman Library. It is interactive. It's shiny. It's interesting. There's lots of things for all members of the family to engage in. You're going to learn a lot about presidential history while you, you don't even know you're learning, basically. And uh, I can't recommend it enough. Is it enough to convince you to go, Michael? Oh, without question. Uh, I uh, went out there, have gone to the Truman Library a number of times. And what uh, I am always astonished about, about Harry Truman, is I think you're hard-pressed to find any American president that had to make so many consequential decisions within days and certainly months of, uh, of being in, in office. He ended the war in Europe. He was there for the start of the United Nations. He was there, uh, uh, there for uh, making the decision about dropping the atomic bomb, the end of the war uh, in, uh, in against uh, Japan, and then everything that followed that, the development of the policy of containment against the Soviet Union, the Berlin airlift, the Korean War. He had to deal with a struggling economy, high unemployment, the, especially his first four or five months in office may be the most consequential set of decisions ever made by an American president. I cannot sit, wait to see how they display that. And it sounds like they do a bang up job on it. But we really don't have to go to the Truman Library because Mahoney just gave us everything we needed to know about it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we have two PR people for the museum on the show already. Kat, come on. Would you be heading over there? I'm, 
I'm excited because I sadly didn't have the opportunity to go before it closed. And so this will be my first time with fresh eyes seeing it. And I think what's really interesting is that the museum's director talks about this not being a just regurgitation of facts. It's really a reimagining, a, a retelling, maybe a little bit more, more critical uh, uh, at times of the Truman presidency and really encouraging visitors to ask some hard questions. So I think that that is really interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Now, as we head into Independence Day, an explosive fact for the 4th of July, according to a new national survey, Missouri ranks number one in the nation in per capita firework sales. I saw that on Channel 9. With Missourians snapping up $42 million rather, in rockets and spinners and sparklers, there are enough fireworks bought in Missouri to shoot off roughly seven per person. By the way, Kansas isn't far behind. It comes in at number three. But you know where else Missouri is number one? It's not flattering. It's in the percentage of its residents hospitalized for COVID-19. It's an important issue as we head into this 4th of July weekend. On July 4, we're going to celebrate our independence from the virus as we celebrate our independence of our nation. Back in May, the president setting a goal of getting COVID shots in the arms of 70% of Americans by the 4th of July. The White House now publicly acknowledging that is not going to happen. We're at about 66% of American adults with one dose of the COVID shot. So what about what's happening locally? While some zip codes in Johnson County have topped the 70% mark, we're largely below that national average. Today, 62% of Kansans have received at least one dose. That puts Kansas 28th in the nation. It's lower in Missouri, where only 55% of residents are partly vaccinated. That ranks Missouri 40th in the country. In Buchanan County, by the way, the home in the city of St. Joseph, just 20% of residents there have received at least one shot. But with almost everything now open, what difference does that make, Kat Reed? Well, the problem is the spread of the Delta variant, which is this incredibly contagious, uh, dangerous COVID variant. And people who are not vaccinated are at much greater risk for that. And they're also um, passing that more quickly. So we're seeing numbers rise. Uh, for instance, in the Springfield area, Cox Health System, they're having to divert patients to other hospitals because they don't have enough staff currently. So it's putting the strain on our health system yet again. So what do we actually do about this? This week, the Royals began its big vaccination push, giving two free game tickets to Kansas Cityans who visited local price shopper stores to get the shot. Last week, Wyandotte County began dangling a new round of incentives in front of its residents, daily drawings for season passes at Worlds of Fun and $500 gift cards. But is there any evidence these kinds of incentives are making a difference, Eric Wesson? No. There's no evidence here locally where it's driving people uh, to go out to try to get the vaccination. The problem that's been brought up about incentives is that some of the people who still have not gotten the vaccine have said they're concerned for safety reasons. And offering them a $25 gift card is not going to change their mind. What could change their mind is seeing more family members and loved ones get the vaccine or hearing information from a trusted source like a primary care doctor. So that's the problem. At this point, we've hit a lot of the people who are interested in getting the vaccine. Now you have people who are just saying hard no and, you know, getting these perks won't change their minds. By the way, Michael, you were interviewing Kansas Governor Laura Kelly this week. She's part of a new campaign, advertising campaign to get people to get the shot, along with Sharice Davids. I was looking at those spots this week. As the 4th of July approaches, celebrating our independence feels more important than ever. But as we gather, please remember, COVID isn't over yet. 
A new, more contagious strain of COVID is rapidly spreading in neighboring states. The best way to stay healthy is to get vaccinated today. If you choose not to be vaccinated, please be responsible around others. And if you feel sick, get tested. Have a safe and healthy Independence Day. But is that going to have any make any difference to people just to see uh, Laura Kelly in front of a camera, just, you know, with a very low uh, production values and Sharice Davis doing the same? Is that going to encourage people to get the shot? No, we are at a stage now where the vaccination drive is up against a pretty stiff and formidable wall of people who simply do not believe that they need to get the shot and they don't want to get the shot. If it's personal reasons, if it's religious reasons, if it's political reasons, they're not interested and incentives are not going to drag these people across the vaccination line. I'm not sure that anything will, perhaps even getting sick with it. Nick, they were even giving away free beer in Springfield to drive people to get vaccinations. That didn't have much impact. And to Michael Mahoney's point, Nick, you know, if the fear of contracting COVID through this Delta variant isn't going to get people to get a shot, an ad from Laura Kelly certainly isn't going to get that job done. I think one of the things that I hear people uh, tell me why they're not getting it is it must not be that bad now because they've released uh, some of the measures that they had, like wearing a mask. People don't talk about social distancing as much. And there are a lot of different reasons that people were like, well, it, it, we must be over it or we've gotten past the dangerous part because they're relaxing so many restrictions. I think that's the biggest message that take that's taking place in the black community. And is there truth, isn't there truth to that, though? I find it hard to believe at this point in time that we'll see any city in this metropolitan area go back to more restrictions on businesses or to impose new mask mandates. Is that correct, Steve? Well, that's a great question. I think the psychology here is fascinating because as this Delta variant spreads, uh, public health officials may have no choice but to begin to recommend that. But are the citizenry, are folks ready to go back and don masks again after this last year and a half? The answer is no. But at some point, you begin to wonder if we'll have any choice if this thing runs wild. I did notice that the National Governors Association says most states now are offering some major incentives uh, to residents to get vaccinated from Ohio that has million dollar lottery prizes um, and uh, to Arkansas, Cat Reed, that is offering a fishing license. For instance, in New Jersey, you can have uh, a dinner with the governor there as an incentive. You were speaking with the governor uh, in the last few days, uh, Mike Parson. Is he going to be offering a dinner with Mike Parson and his wife as a incentive to get people vaccinated? Uh, not that I know of. Um, I do know the Kansas Lottery Commission had been talking about working on a similar like lotto setup, not as big as Ohio, but something. Um, of course, I am not sure that anything came out of those discussions. That was a, a few weeks ago. Well, we mentioned states and what they were doing with these COVID vaccine lotteries. Did you see this news this week? I got my purse and my $2, and I'm hoping this is a winning ticket. <laughs> Missouri Governor Mike Parson signing into law this week a measure that for the first time will keep confidential the names of anyone who wins the lottery in Kansas. Kansas already does that. It could be a big deal to you. It is for Weekend Review watcher Scott, who emailed me to say, I go over to Kansas twice a week to buy my Powerball and Mega Million tickets. Is Missouri Eric Wesson about to get a huge windfall in new lottery money as thousands of people abandon Kansas uh, to get their tickets in Missouri now?
I think when the Powerball, you know, gets to be about five, six, seven hundred million, then I see a lot of people lining up. If you go to uh, convenience stores, people don't buy them based upon whether or not they're going to be disclosed on who yes. wants it. I think it's the amount of the pot of money. When that pot of money gets big enough, people don't care. They're going out buying those tickets. You don't know Missouri residents go over to Kansas to buy those tickets so that they can be uh, c confidential and anonymous, Steve? I don't know anybody who's going to do that, Nick. I agree with Eric. I think it's a matter of the bucks there. And there are 10 states across the country, roughly, that have this anonymity thing now. And I'm not sure it's a driver of anything. You know, the impasse over Medicaid funding in Missouri has now been broken. Missouri lawmakers inking a deal to renew a critical tax on hospitals, nursing homes, pharmacies and ambulances that pays for a large part of the existing Medicaid program. The measure had been held up by conservatives who had tied renewal of the tax to new restrictions on some contraceptives and the removal of Planned Parenthood as a Medicaid provider. I am curious, though, when we have a governor who tells us frequently he is pro-life and so many of our elected leaders telling us they have 100 percent pro-life records in their campaign ads. Why did they give in on this, uh, Kat? Well, Governor Parson brought this up uh, in our interview. He talked about, again, reiterating his pro-life stance, but he said that there was a concern there's a balance of, of meeting that, um, or, you know, I guess, being pro-life while also staying in compliance with federal Medicaid law. And he brought that up and said, you know, the FRA renewal is not something that we can mess around with. This would be a huge, huge, devastating revenue loss. And he said, um, you know, what we can do is we can do some things on the state level on the pro-life front. So I think he was willing to compromise on that with the promise that they will be working on other legislation on the state level later on. Governor Parson was telling lawmakers, if you go in extend this thing, you're not going to give me any choice but to cut the budget by hundreds of millions of dollars as a new fiscal year begins. That level of chaos proves simply too much politically, even against the strong anti-life crowd in the state, and lawmakers signed on to this effort. Just to be clear, Michael Mahoney, this had absolutely nothing to do with that uh, expansion of Medicaid that was passed by voters in Missouri last year that was recently ruled by a judge as unconstitutional. Are we any wiser this week on what happens now? Well, with respect to uh, Medicaid expansion, that's going to be uh, before the state Supreme Court, not this coming week, but the following week. Two big Medicaid uh, stories. One of them now seems to be resolved. Expansion is in the courts. A popular country club plaza hotel was in lockdown this week, and some streets in and out of the shopping district were shut down. What was happening? Another murder, this time inside of the Sheraton Suites, a few feet from the Gap and Barnes and & Noble. This was the city's 75th homicide. But given all the coverage crime gets in the media, you may be surprised to learn that murders are way down on last year. This time in 2020, we were recording more than 90 homicides. We can review watcher Dr. Ernest Evans, who is a local professor and crime expert, writes, KCMO is one of the only large cities in the country where homicides are lower in 2021 than in 2020. The city is clearly doing something right. Right. Eric Wesson, two weeks ago on the program, you said the opposite. Are you ready to change your perspective now? Absolutely not. <laughs> the trend seems to be up, down, up, down. There's nothing consistency, consistent to level it off. And even though we're down in homicides, it has nothing to do with what the city's doing. Just bad guys aren't shooting at each other. And if they are shooting each other, they're not shooting each other fate, fate, uh, fatally. One of the interesting things that I got from the police department yesterday was shootings are down 
35%. But if you watch the Board of Police Commissioner meeting, they're not saying anything that they're doing differently. No, Nick, some perspective is needed here. You know, the number of homicides is down compared to last year. But as of this morning, we're at 75, Nick. That's more than 2019. That's more than 2018. It's more than 2017 as well. We're still on pace for 150, 160 homicides this year. That's nothing to brag about. Well, the crime issue is playing out amid two new developments that relate to gun policy on both sides of the state line. Starting on Thursday of this week, a new law officially went into effect in Kansas that drops the age to carry a concealed weapon from 21 to 18 years old. In Missouri, the city of St. Louis has gone to court to try and block a new state law that bans local law enforcement from enforcing federal gun laws. Kansas City and Jackson County leaders say they're considering joining the lawsuit since lawmakers passed that measure. A suburban St. Louis police chief has resigned in disgust. And in the city of St. Louis, the police chief pulled his officers from participating in federal crime task forces, at least temporarily. But what about here? Has the Kansas City police changed the way they are policing as a result of this new measure, Kat? Well, a spokesperson for the police department said the new rule is not going to affect their day-to-day -day operations because they have a team of detectives who, who handle gun cases specifically. But I think the important point to point out here is that no one really knows what is and isn't allowed under this legislation. Uh, this is something that came up as I was talking to Governor Parson. You know, I, I asked him, if you're looking at this from a legal perspective, federal law trumps state law. And uh, he said, you know, this is a statement that we're making as the state of Missouri to protect the Second Amendment and the Constitution trumps all. One of the things that Kat said that was really important there was is that the U.S. Constitution and its supremacy clauses will trump Missouri law. So what this means in blunt terms is this Second Amendment Protection Act in Missouri is nothing more than window dressing and a statement to sort of bolster the folks that uh, believe that the Second Amendment is under some sort of threat in Missouri. It's not going to be upheld in, when it's challenged in the courts. It's going to have very little practical effect. It's a political demonstration. Steve. Nick, even law enforcement agencies across Missouri, several of them have come out against this law, which begins to explain the power of the NRA in this part of the country. Both these law changes that you've cited are a direct result of uh, pressure and input from the National Rifle Association to change laws in Missouri. Lawmakers, even Republicans going against law enforcement to pass these laws, that, that begins to tell you a whole lot about just how powerful the NRA continues to be in this part of the world. So much happening in terms of crime. And also, I think about our police officers, too, during this whole effort, not only what we're seeing with homicides, but what some view as an effort by the city of Kansas City to defund the police. Uh, a new social media posting this week from the Kansas City Police Union announces that another officer signed retirement paperwork today. 64 sworn officers have now turned in their paperwork to leave this year over double any previous year on record, intentional defunding by the council, combined with associated morale issues, helped create a crisis that will take at least a decade to fix, says the Fraternal Order of Police. So what is the mayor and city council's response to that? Are they getting worried, Kat? Um, not that I've heard. I do think that they would counter that by saying, again, what they've said time and time again, that it's not a defunding, that the, the police department still has the same amount of money available, just moved into a different pot. I've talked to quite a few police officers because I responded to something on uh, Brad Lemon's Facebook page. and I've He's had, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, the, the union. Head of the union. 
And some of the officers were telling me that one of the reasons why a lot of them are leaving has nothing to do with the defunding. It's the, when they make a decision to do something that they feel is in the order of public safety, then they have the prosecutor come back and say that they violated a law and then charge them. A lot of them are reluctant and scared of that. It has nothing to do with the defunding. And that's just a scare political tactic that they're trying to use to get more money from the city. And, and in, interestingly, at the tail end of this week, the lawsuit again from the police board against City Hall, the police board are saying, you know what, bring it on. We've got pretty plain language in a Missouri statute that says we have exclusive control over the police department. They're ready to take this thing to trial right now they, uh, they want to go we'll we'll see eric we'll see but, but, but Nick, they're, they're eager and 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 here's the thing that people don't realize taxpayers are funding a legal squabble between the border police commissioners and the city in our interest we're paying for the lawyers for the border police commissioners and we're paying for the lawyers for the city we're the ones paying for it all in the end and it's just not right it's just not right. While this 4th of July weekend is a chance for us to step back from work, many of our area employers are vexing over how they can even find workers. A big job fair at Municipal Auditorium last week saw so few people show up. Recruiters outnumbered applicants. The New York Times is also reporting that a recent decision in Missouri to rescind federal job benefits as an incentive to get more people back into the workforce has not been a boon to employers. The Times quotes workforce development officials who say they have seen virtually no uptick in applicants since the governor's announcement. So is that why Nebraska Furniture Mart, uh, Steve Kraske, recently announced they're hiking their minimum wage to $18 an hour, and the Shawnee Mission School District is now saying we're going to be giving $600 retention bonuses to teachers, so please, please, please stay on. Well, absolutely, Nick. There's a whole school of scholarship out there now that begins to suggest that the pandemic has changed this country and has changed Americans' attitudes towards the jobs they do. They're not willing to put up with some of the stuff they put up with in the past. Some of them want to stay home, look after the kids. They like the lifestyle they've, they've adopted since the pandemic began. And that's put a whole new crush on employers who, as you point out, have to do all kinds of things now to get workers to come to work and do the jobs that have been done for a long time. North KC chief writing on Twitter, Cat Reed says, uh, has a very different theory, by the way. He argues COVID has changed working forever. People get used to working at home, not working, and adjusting their lives accordingly. Many won't go back to the old normal. Is that really part of the problem? Yeah, I think people had a lot of time to think over the past year of what they want to do with their lives and uh, how they want to work, um, maybe working remotely. But also, you know, I think it, when we talk about raising pay um, or offering incentives to, to bring people back to the workforce, you have to keep in mind that even having a slightly higher pay, that doesn't necessarily mean you can find childcare. That doesn't necessarily mean you can afford childcare. That is a huge thing. We have seen so many women leave the workforce because of that. So I think that it's a complex situation with a lot of different factors influencing these decisions. I was at a, a fast food restaurant yesterday and I was going through the drive-through and they had a sign up and it said, you work today, you get paid tomorrow. So their incentive wow. was, wow. you know, you come to work, you work today, you get paid tomorrow. So every other day, you're going to get a paycheck if you come in to work. So those type of incentives to get people to work. And and he said it's, he probably got like 14, he's getting 
getting like 14 applications a day from people wanting to work under that guise. We're in a position here that I don't think many of us have seen much of in our entire careers or, or our lives, where workers are pretty much in the driver's seat in right, many yeah. respects on this. And right. um, it'll be interesting to see where this plays out workers, especially the lower paid workers who don't want to uh, work for minimum wage and are expecting a livable wage of some, fort, of, of some sort, are, are calling some shots. You know, one interesting trend story that caught my eye this week was the 64-year-old retiree from Lawrence who just signed up to become a lifeguard. We have the view that these are the kinds of summer jobs filled by teenagers. But Steve, is this giving us all of a chance to reinvent ourselves regardless of our age? I think absolutely, Nick. It's a new playing field out there. As Mike just pointed out, workers are in charge here and have new authority, new uh, 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 new freedom, I guess, to pursue what they want to pursue. Maybe I'll become a lifeguard uh, once I retire here. I mean, there you go. Speaking of jobs, I don't want to leave this program this week without mentioning, did you see that one of the largest employers on the Kansas side of our state line is going to be shut down now until August? The GM Fairfax plant stopped making cars in February due to the global computer chip shortage. Now workers at the plant say that that shutdown has been extended through August 16th. Can you think of any other time that a large employer was forced to close in the city for so long, Michael? Not unless it was a labor strike. Um, it's very, very interesting that this is underway. The plan was to have both uh, Fairfax and GM reopen and fire up all their lines this coming week after after July 5th. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. The computer chip shortage is largely responsible for that. And this, another uh, example of the changing dynamics in the, in, in the workplace and in our economics, is now rippling through the auto industry in many, many different ways. And obviously it has huge implications, just as it did for my daughter this week, Kat Reed, who went to the Moly Toyota dealership wanting to get a RAV4, and they had no cars. Amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, we had the pause in production lines that impacted new cars, and then used car demand is just insane right now. I mean, it's it's a great time to sell a used car. Of course, then you'd have to buy a car, oh. and uh, <laughs> the supply is down. So um, it has had just a huge impact on the automobile industry. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Thank you to the calls, Eric Wesson, Kat Reed from 41 Action News, and Channel 9's Michael Mahoney. And keeping you up to date weekdays on KCUR-FM, Steve Kraske. And I'm Nick Haynes. And I arrived on these shores, by the way, 30 years ago this year. Who says I don't know how to celebrate the 4th of July? From all of us here at Kansas City PBS, uh, be safe, be well, keep calm, and carry on.